title for this morning's message from verses 35 all the way down to the end of the chapter, verse 51, is the first disciples. Last week, we were introduced to the witness of John the Baptist in chapter 1, verses 19 through 34, where he was seen as the forerunner of the Messiah. If you just look back to verse 23, he was seen by his own words as being the forerunner, not the Messiah, but pointing to, indeed, the Messiah. He has already identified, verse 29, the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, we noticed that last time, singular, of the world. They're referring to the book of Isaiah, in all probability, as we just have read it, in probably the seventh verse, where it refers to the substitutionary sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, who bore the penalty and price of sin, the wrath of Almighty God. So in John's witness, he has already introduced us to that Lamb of God. He has already identified him. And today, as we come to this portion of the word, we come briefly to a continuation of the testimony of John, but a very significant portion. And then we move on to the Lord's first disciples as presented in the book as accounted to us by the Apostle John. First of all, verses 35 through 37, which I just read to you, we see the continued testimony of John the Baptist. And you'll note I've already presented to you the chronology of the days, and yet we find in verse 35 that again the next day, this is now the third day, if you look at verse 29, that was the second day in which the next day he saw Jesus coming to him. Now we come to the third day, where it says, and again, John. As we come to this next day, John had been confronted by the religious leaders in verses 19 through 28. He then was before the public in ministering in verses 29 through 34 on the second day. Now on the third day of this ministry of John and the early ministry of Jesus Christ, we find John once again with two of his disciples, according to verse 35. He was standing with two of his disciples. That was two of those who were following the ministry of John the Baptist. We need to understand that clearly and what that means. These were folks that had heard the message of John the Baptist, which was what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They had clearly understood the message of John and his pointing to their need for repentance, their need to turn to the Messiah, the one who could deliver them. They had clearly, in all probability, been baptized by John as they were called out in the wilderness. John was baptizing those who had repented and those who had turned to Christ. That would have been true of these two disciples. And they were following the leadership of John. They knew that this man was a godly man, though the public had rejected him as a whole, though the religious leaders certainly had rejected the ministry of John and who shortly would be put into prison. Yet these men had followed him and followed his teaching and wanted to learn more. And yet when we come to verse 36 now, <coughs> John the Baptist, as he's standing with these two disciples, he then turns and he looks upon Jesus. He sees Jesus again. This is the following day from verses 29 to 34. 
and he sees him, and what does he do? Very consistent with what we talked about in being an effective witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. He points to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist turns around and for the second time says in verse 36, Jesus, as he was walking, he says to his disciples, Behold, there he is, the Lamb of God. He clearly points out, John the Baptist, that this is the Lamb of God. That is, this is the one who was to die as the sacrificial lamb. This is the one who was coming from God. This was God's lamb. This was the one who would take away the sin of the world. This is the one who God had promised that they were looking forth to the coming of the Deliverer, coming of the Messiah. And this was him right there. John the Baptist is pointing to him with his own disciples who had followed him and says, there he is, the Lamb of God. And we need to understand that concept again. The Lord Jesus Christ, as a lamb, substitutionary sacrifice, bore the wrath of Almighty God and the penalty for sin. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The book of Genesis teaches us that right from our youth, every thought of our heart is wicked. And that is not just before the flood. The Lord says that after the flood. That still the thoughts of man are wicked. And we are sinners and have come short of the glory of God. That requires a sacrifice because the wages of sin is death. And since no man can adequately satisfy the righteousness of God, we could never be good enough. Is it okay to try to make an effort to be kind to others and to be good to others? Yes. Does it buy merit for us to get into heaven? No, because we ourselves are sinners. But God himself provided a lamb. God himself provided a sacrifice, the only unique one, the only God-man, Jesus Christ, as the Lamb of God. And John says, there he is. That's him to his disciples. And you'll notice that as he points to the Lamb, he's not concerned about his own ministry. He didn't ignore the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't see him coming and say, well, I've got my disciples with me now. Yeah, I know there's the Lamb of God, but uh, I just go my way and he'll go his way. No, not at all. Why? Because John the Baptist knew his ministry, A. He knew he was the forerunner. B, he knew that that was the one that everyone needs to be pointed to. Everyone in this room needs to be pointed to him. Everyone outside of these doors, everyone in the Middle East, everyone in the South, in the North, they need to be pointed to this one. And John knew it. And now John is presented with a test in verse 37. Because while he points to the Lamb of God, in verse 37, the two disciples, remember, who had heard his message, who had been baptized in all probability, who were following him, they turn around in verse 37 as they hear John point to the Lamb of God. And they heard and heard him speak. And they now follow Jesus. That's a test. They were following John. They leave John. And they follow Jesus. The first thing I want you to notice is John puts absolutely no pressure. He doesn't say to them, where are you going? Hey, wait a minute. You're not supposed to go there. You're supposed to go here. Follow me. No. He's interested in the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
He doesn't put any pressure on them at all. He indeed shows true humility. Why? They were not following a man. They were following the Messiah. There are many that follow men. There are many that follow men in churches. There are many that follow their own interests. There are many that do all kinds of things while saying they follow the Lord. But the one we really need to follow is the Lord Jesus Christ. Interestingly enough, they, that is the two disciples, were doing exactly what John wanted them to do. He wanted them to see Jesus Christ and to follow him. Not to follow. That's why he doesn't say anything. He lets them go. And if you will, the disciples were actually, I want you to get this, the disciples of John were actually doing exactly what they should have been doing, and they were being true, listen, to John's leadership. What do you mean they were being true to John's leadership? Because his whole ministry was to point them to Christ. And he had said to them to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They did that. Then he said, there's the Lamb of God, and that's the one you need to turn to. And so in following John's teaching, they were doing exactly what they should have been doing. And they were following the Lord Jesus Christ. And that leads us to the first disciples. And the first disciples that we see recorded here, and I've divided it in your outline into two areas. The first are Andrew, Peter, and another. I'll talk about that. And then Philip and Nathaniel. First we come to Andrew, Peter, and another in chapter 1, verses 38 to 42. Let me read them. And Jesus turned and beheld them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. They came, therefore, and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, and it was about the tenth hour. So that's what we have. First of all, now verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which, is translate, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. In those verses, verses 38 to 42, we come to the first disciples, Andrew, Peter, and another in this account. I want to give you a couple of general comments, very brief. First of all, that this passage shows us. I believe that this passage before us in verses 38 particularly on down to verse 51, I believe gives us, listen, the most effective and biblical, the most effective and biblical approach to evangelism. And it's not what you see today usually. What do you mean, most effective and biblical? Let me give you the answer right away. One on one. Person to person. What does that mean? That means you. That means me. If you want to be the most effective evangelist, it's one-on-one, folks. 
It's you with other people. It's one-on-one, and that's what you will see continuing. It was Andrew with Peter. It was Philip with Nathaniel. It was one-on-one. It wasn't calling a big assembly together to hear a message, though that can be effective. It was one-on-one dealing with people, and I say to you that that is still the most effective. It's your testimony in the community. It's you bringing the gospel to the people you work with. It's you bringing the gospel to your neighbors. It's me bringing the gospel to my neighbors. It's us reaching out to those that we know. And the most difficult, really? Yes, your family. That's who it is. Watch. We find the conversation in verses 38 and 39. Jesus turns. You can follow it along. I already read the passage. He turns when they're following him, and he sees them leave John, and then he asks them a question. What do you seek? And to put it very simple terms, I mean, that's simple enough. What was he asking there? What are you looking for? If you will, it's very similar to what is on your mind? You left him, you're coming after him. What's on your mind? Now, does that mean that Jesus didn't know what they were thinking? Of course he did. Jesus is sovereign. He knows exactly what's going on. Then why ask the question? He wanted them to examine themselves. He wanted them to think about what they're doing, not to just turn and go and act emotionally. He wanted them to really examine what they were doing. He wanted them to understand that why were they coming after him? Because they saw that he was the Lamb of God? Because they saw that he could provide something for them? Because whatever the reason, he wanted them to examine. Many men may seek the truth, as we have in this case, Because he says, what do you seek? And sometimes we get confused on that. Because no one can seek God unless God is the one drawing them. But once God is working, folks, the scriptures do tell us that men then seek him. Men may seek the truth, but God is already doing a work there. John chapter 6, maybe you should just take a quick look at that so you understand what I'm talking about. In John chapter 6, way ahead of ourselves, but let's look at verse 44 just briefly. I want you to understand this. No one can come, verse 44, to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then I will raise him up the last day. God's got to be doing a work in the heart. God's got to be turning that thinking. And it usually is through the word of God or the testimony of some. And so these men are seeking to follow the Lord. And the Lord wants them to think about it and know why are you seeking me? What are you looking for? Now their response in verse 38 is one of great respect because they say rabbi. The word rabbi literally is translated great one, by the way. It is literally translated master. But because of probably the language here and obviously that John's gospel goes beyond the Jews and is open to the public and is open to those outside of the Jewish faith as well, we find out that he has to explain the term. He does that for their benefit. The Jews knew what it meant. And he says, translated, this means teacher. And they ask this, where are you staying? Now, they are looking for a lot more than just where is your house. How do we know that? They're really requesting an audience with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, they want to spend some time and learn more about him. They want to stay with him. They want to understand, since this is the one that John pointed to, that this is what it's all about. How do we know that? 
you'll notice that because in verses 39, 40 particularly, that what happens is when they go and spend time with him, by the time you come to verse 41, they're now excited and have a full explanation. They didn't just go and see where his house was. They had an audience, and they began to understand that, yes, this is the Christ. They wanted time to talk with him. They wanted time to understand. Now, there is also, just so you're aware of it, when you get uh, Philip later on doing this, and when you get Andrew in this particular situation following him, they probably went and followed him, got them, and then went back to work. How do we know that? Because of the account in Matthew chapter 4, which you can look at it in your own. John is not in prison yet here. John was with them, and he just pointed to Jesus, and they went and followed him. That is why in the account in Matthew chapter 4, for example, you find out when John is in prison that Jesus later comes around the Sea of Galilee and then says to Peter and Andrew, come and follow me. And now they permanently come and follow him. But at this stage, he points and says, the Lamb of God, they go and they want to find out where he is so they can spend time. They sit down and the Lord Jesus Christ explains to them who he is. He says to them, come and you will see. And they come and they follow him. And the result is verses 40 to 42. And first of all, we see that Andrew is identified in verse 40. It says, one of them that was following him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So there's no doubt that one of the two disciples was Andrew. Who is the other one? Well, you probably have learned to expect this from me by now. I don't know. And I know 90% of you are going to say it's John. Probably. But I don't know. You cannot know for 100% sure. And a number of people have drawn reasons why it's John, and it probably was, but we don't know because it's not identified, and I'll leave the scriptures right there. There's no way we can absolutely know for sure. That isn't the important thing. We do know Andrew was there, and we do know what Andrew does. They had found out the truth. How do we know that? Verse 41. Not only had John the Baptist pointed to the Messiah, but in first, uh, verse 41, He's going to run and get first who? His own brother, one-on-one. -on -one. He's going to go to his own brother. Why? He's got exciting news. What does he say? We have found the Messiah, the one that is to come, the Christ, the anointed one of God. I've explained that term to you already. And he goes, and he cannot contain himself. And that's what happens when someone comes to Christ. When someone comes to Christ, and if you've been saved a long time and maybe have lost the excitement of that, think back when you got saved. I know what happened with me. Right to my family. And they thought I was nuts. And I, my sister's probably here today, and she'll tell you. They thought I was an idiot. But I did. I ran right to my family. I, I had news they needed to hear. In fact, I got together with Linda, and I said, are you calling your mom and your dad up? What for? We're going over to tell them. And we did. We got over. They didn't know what was up. They didn't know if we were getting divorced or what it was. So we just came over the house. They said, we've got to sit down. We went in the other room. We sat down, get the Bible out. And I said, you need to be saved. What? You know, and so what I'm trying to tell you, think back yourselves. It's exciting when you get saved. And that's what you got with Andrew. Andrew's all stirred up, and he can't keep it to himself. We can't keep it to ourselves. It is beyond my understanding how anybody can say, They've trusted in Christ, and they're not telling anybody. You better examine your salvation. Why? Turn with me to John, uh, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. 
I was telling everybody at work. It was just, you, you just have to tell people. In, John, in Romans chapter 10, look at verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your what? Mouth. Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Why? Verse 10. For with the heart man believes, fine, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. That's the evidence. And all I'm just trying to point out to you, that's what you see with Andrew. Tremendous excitement. I've now learned who the Messiah is. I've got to tell somebody. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to tell somebody else. And that's why, again, I say it's so effective, one-on-one with people. And in verse 41, he goes and he, first of all, tells Peter, but he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 42. Then what did he do? He brought him to Jesus. See? He not only tells him, he says, come. It's fine to talk and tell people, but don't stop there. Come and show them. Bring them to a Bible study. Bring them to a service. Bring them to the Word of God. And that's exactly what Andrew does. He's so excited that after he hears this this truth, he cannot contain himself and he wants to tell others. And he runs and he gets his brother first and he says, I found the Messiah and then he takes him to Jesus. And then he lets Jesus do a work in his heart. And let me tell you, that's why, again, we save no one. When people start talking about the 25 souls that have brought to Christ, the 30 souls, I understand what they mean. And most of the time, they mean that in a very good context. But reality, none of us bring anyone. We can bring them to to the Lord as far as showing them, but God has got to change the hearts. And God has got to use the word of God. That's what he's chosen to use, the foolishness of preaching to change the hearts. Because if the heart doesn't get changed and someone gets filled with Bible knowledge, that's a tremendous danger <clears throat> because you've got a person that's walking around and can tell you the gospel and haven't believed it themselves. They think it's nice because it's social. They think it's nice because it puts them in with a good group of people who are fairly moral and so forth. That's nothing. We need to bring them and show them the word of God. I want you to notice something else. If I were to say to you, just, just a question, Two names, Peter and Andrew. Who could you tell me more about? Let me just ask the audience. Who could you tell me more about? Peter. He's the one we remember. He's the one we we think about his denials. We think about his walking with God. We think about his priority. We think about him even leading the apostles and all of that. And who do we forget? Andrew. Andrew was the key. Why am I saying that? Don't you ever minimize the responsibility that you have as a believer in preaching the gospel. It doesn't matter what people know about you. Not at all. Just continue to bring the message. In fact, it's absolutely amazing. There's so little spoken about Andrew, but I'll tell you this much. Do you know what happens later on in this book? Remember the feeding of the 5,000? Do you know who brings the little boy? It's Andrew. He's the one that says, you know, there's a boy here with a couple of fish and some loaves. And the Lord said, go get him. Okay, fine. Brings him to the Lord. Later on in John, you're going to find out that what happens is it's Greeks. I think it's chapter 10. There's Greeks that are interested. We want to see Jesus. Andrew says, come on. I'll show you where he is. He is always bringing people to Christ. 
He is always bringing people to hear the word of God. You might not be theologically sound. We're not called to be theologians, folks. We're called to be pointers. We're called to be a witness. We're called to tell others about Christ, and we need to be about our Father's business, all of us. All of us. What a tremendous impact Andrew had. And here it is, the, and is, Peter's not to be minimized. The tremendous apostle Peter comes to Christ. How? Because his brother had the courage to go to him and say, we found the Messiah, come and see. We need to do that. Now we quickly come to verses 40. You didn't think I'd cover that, did you? 43 to 51. We come to the fourth day. Why do we know the fourth day? How do you know the chronology? Look at verse 43. The next day, he purposed to go forth into Galilee. And now what does he do? He finds Philip. And Jesus said to him, what does he say? Follow me. We come to the fourth day. He's going toward Galilee. He says, follow him. I want you to know that Philip knows the word of God. How do we know that? Look at verse 45. Philip finds Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. He knew the word of God. He was looking. There weren't a lot of people looking for the Messiah, but Philip's another one. In verse 44, we get a little background to him. He was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. So they're all up in the Galilean area. And that's where the Lord Jesus Christ is going. And that's where later on in Matthew chapter 4 that I referred to, the Lord will call them away from their nets and say, I'll make you fishers of men. And what happens? He le learns the truth and he tells others. Who does he tell? Same thing, verse 46, uh, verse 45. He found Nathaniel. Philip cannot hold it in. One-on-one. -on -one. And he goes and gets Nathaniel. And he says, Nathaniel, come here. You've got to see the one that was spoken of. And he says, Jesus of, Na of Nazareth, or the Nazarene, the son of Joseph. All he knows about Jesus is all he can say. And if you want, we're going to get to this later on, uh, eventually in the book. But one of the most outstanding testimonies to me was the, that of the blind man. You want to know how to witness for Christ? Here it is, folks. The blind man, later on, we'll see, it's, sim it's this simple. The people are saying, who in the world are you and what happened? The sum summary is this. The blind man says, I don't know. All I know is this. I was blind. Now I see Jesus did it. That's it. And if you are saved, you can say, all I know is I was lost. Now I'm saved, forgiven, and he did it. And if people say, what do you mean he did it? Let me come and let you see. And show him. And bring him out. One-on-one. -on -one. One on one. He goes. Nathan was studious. Why do we know that? Verse 46. And you look at verse 46, and Nathan said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Boy, that's, a, that's one for a preacher to have some fun with. You know, we could say, uh, Anything good come out of Lawrence or Andover or Methuen or whatever? No. But he was, the, the context of that really is, as you understand, he was a studious man, and he said, Wait a minute. Nazareth doesn't seem to line up. Now, you notice Philip didn't have all the answers again. Why? He says to him, can anything good? Philip said to him, what? Yeah, let me check that out. Now he says, come and see. Come on. Let's go find out. 
Let's go find out. And all you get is the Lord simply responding to him in verses 47 through 48, and he identifies him. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree. Now, the only one that knew that was Nathanael. He says, Before he even went and got you under that fig tree, he says, I saw you. Hmm. Who could perceive like that? Only the Son of God. Only the King of Israel. Only the God, very God, which is what you've got in verse 49. Nathaniel answered and said, Isn't it amazing? When someone gets saved, you see the simplicity of salvation? He right away, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Why? God was already working in that heart, preparing that heart turning that heart toward him. In fact, several men, and I believe it's true, several men believe that probably Nathaniel was meditating on the book of Genesis. Why would you say that? Probably, by the way, chapters 27 to 29. I believe they're right. You know why? Because that's what the Lord uses with him. Who happens to be in chapters 27 to 29? Well, let me tell you in case you forgot. It's a man named Jacob. You know what Jacob was like? He was a man of guile. He was a man of deceit. He was a man that looked good, but he was a deceiver. And the Lord uses that with Nathan and Nathaniel. Why? As he's talking to him, he says, here comes a man that's not a man like that. And he sees right through. And also because of verse 51, where it talks about the ascending. It's in those chapters that as Jacob was meditating, he had the ladder back and forth to heaven. It went back and forth to heaven. And Nathaniel, who was meditating under a fig tree, the Lord calls him. You have Andrew. He gets Peter. You have Philip. He gets Nathaniel. Brings them to the Lord. And the response is the Son of God, the King of Israel. Do you remember what we said this book was all about? Would you keep your finger right here for a second and turn again to John chapter 20? Go there. We ought not to be surprised by this passage. Look at verses 30 and 31. It's how we started our study of the book. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written, why? That you may believe, what? That Jesus is the what? Christ. And what's the next word? The Son of God. And that believing you might have life in his name. What have you got in chapter 1? That exact situation. Nathaniel sees him, and what does he say? Why do you have this pointed out? The first thing he says is, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And the response of Peter as he comes to the Lord. The response of Nathaniel, he comes to the Lord. How did that happen? By someone else having the courage to go to the person one-on-one -on -one and secondly, by someone having the courage to turn around and say, come and see for yourself. I already shared with you tonight, uh, this morning, that on uh, Friday night, I again officiated at a funeral, a memorial service. And I tell you, you can ask anyone that was there, I didn't hear a pin drop. And one of the reasons I didn't 
is I turned from the person that had died and I turned it to the living people that were in front of me and I said, one day you will die. And there wasn't a person in that room that could get away from it because they all knew it was true. Will you be ready? One day every person in this room will die. It's too late for the truth then. It's sealed. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ now. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no one that can come unto the Father but by him. This church saves nobody. I save nobody. No man, no woman, no church, no religion on the face of the earth can save anyone. It is only the Messiah. It is only Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. The one that John the Baptist was pointing to. The one that the two disciples had the courage to connect together and say, wait a minute, John's been preparing us to follow him? No, John's pointing us to this one. Went and found out for themselves. If you are here today and have not trusted in Jesus Christ, and you really want to know the truth, listen, you don't know if you're going to make tomorrow. I was on the way to visit somebody in the hospital this past week, and someone ran a stop sign and smacked right into me. I didn't see it coming. You don't know what's coming the rest of this day. Don't let the day go by. If you are unsure that you're on your way to heaven, open the book and come and see. You need to know the truth for yourself. Don't rest in some religion. Don't rest in some other person. These people were brought to Jesus Christ because they needed to see that he is the way. Philip saw it. Peter saw it. Andrew saw it. Nathaniel saw it. And they came to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Three titles are given in this passage. The last one is the end of verse 51, where he says you'll see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You have him as the Son of Man, referring to his humanity. That was God in the flesh. That's why he's the Son of God. That's why he's also the King of Israel. And sometimes people have a problem with that because they look at it and they say, well, that puts Israel in a certain place only because God selected them as his people. But my friend, God's interested in you. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and he wants you personally to see that the wrath of God on sin was paid for by Jesus Christ. And through him, you can have eternal life. Fellow believer, Jesus responds to Nathaniel. I'll just wrap it up with verses 50 and 51 quickly. There's several interesting things that we could point out. But because I said to you, he's amazed. I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Then he uses the singular. He says, you'll see greater things than these. That is, even Nathaniel would see greater things, and he would. In fact, a miracle is going to take place in chapter 2, verse 1. But it only took the heart being opened up. You see, it's simple, folks. You can get saved right there in the pew. You can get saved driving in your automobile. You can get saved on your bed. 
heard testimony a week ago of Steve Hadge's dad who got saved at 90 years of age. You are never too old and you are never too young. Verse 51, truly I say to you, you'll see heavens opened. And this is a plural here in verse 51 because it'll be evident. And then he refers to that passage in, I mentioned in Genesis. We're ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And the evidence is there. Have you trusted in Christ yet for salvation? He is the Lamb of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. I can't do that for you. If someone had you come out to church with them today, they can't do it for you. You need to personally trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. When that happens, the blood of Jesus Christ is appropriated to you as an individual. And though you were dead, you become alive. Just like them. Alive with excitement in knowing the Savior of the world. Fellow believer, this is a new year. We are in 2009. We saw last week a little bit about evangelism. We saw about the witness and testimony of John. The most effective thing that you can do in 2009, if you belong to Christ, is confess with your mouth and tell others, come and see. Bring them to Christ. Let him do the work. Just open your mouth and tell others. If the Savior is truly yours, you should be telling them. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you for the witness and testimony of John the Baptist, how he pointed even his own disciples to the Messiah. Never got upset, never got worried about them following Christ. Thank you and praise you that Andrew, <clears throat> and then we see Philip get absolutely excited when they came to understand who Christ was, and they went to their family. They went to the ones that they knew, and they wanted them to share in this marvelous salvation. And they not only told them, but they said, come and see, and they brought them to Christ. Help us, Father, to have a heart for those who do not know Christ, to realize that we're dealing with people who have eternal souls, and while the body may die, the soul lives on and forever will be brought to God. And I pray, Father, that they would understand that the only way that they can be in the presence of God for all eternity in heaven is come to believe on the Lamb of God who take away the sins of the world, the sin of the world, who is sent by God himself to take on flesh. Might they trust in him. Open up the understanding of any individual today that might be here that is not trusted in Christ, but that before they go to their automobile, they might confess Jesus Christ, repent of their sins, and come to him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.